Blog Talk Radio. Nowadays, there's a lot of talk about hate crimes. There's an entire body of laws against hate crimes. Everybody seems to be worried about hate. Hate appears to be the gravest problem of our time. But hate is good. Hate gives a structure to our life. Hate gives us a reason to exist, a focus, something to strive for, an identity. Hate is energy, pure energy, provided by Mother Nature herself. Hate enables us to see through lies and pretense, and helps us to concentrate on the essential. Hate is democratic. Even the rich and the powerful cannot hate more than their slaves and subjects. And soon, hate may well be all that we have left. Hate emancipates. Without hate for slavery, you cannot break your shackles. And without hate for injustice, there can be no justice. The greatest achievements of the human race have grown from hate, and from the ability to control hate. Hate separates humans from animals. Animals do not hate, but humans do. Humans can hate for decades, sometimes their entire life. We can even pass hate on to our children and keep hate alive for centuries. Hate is a sign of abstract intellect, for only humans can hate people they have never seen or met, and only humans can hate concepts and processes. How can we know what love is? if we refuse to recognize and understand hate. Love and hate are the two opposite sides of the same coin. Without hate, we are only halflings. In order to be complete, we need hate. Only fools talk endlessly about love, but forget the hate. Hate separates us from the meek and docile masses. Do not fear hate. Do not deny or reject hate. Accept hate. Embrace hate. Learn to know it and learn to use it. Hate is your most powerful weapon, a hidden source of your strength. Do not deny it from you. What the liberal elite fears most in this world is our ability to hate, because our hate will one day be the most revolutionary force on the planet. Our hate will destroy and create empires. You're listening to Resolution Radio. ResolutionRDO.com. They are coming. Coming for us all. Unstoppable force of men forged into iron with the fires and machinery of war. Driven before them are those who betray everything beyond a greed, hate and anger. Do you betray everything and decide to free your hide? Or will you take your best to stand for the fight? Fight for your life, for what is dearest to you, for honor and death. Let your name be worthy of you. 
must remember, the war consumes us all. We're going to go ahead and begin at the beginning here. We're not saying anyone should be forced to be pro-white. All we're saying is that whether anyone likes it or not, white people have the right to be pro-white. White people have the right to a sense of racial consciousness, racial identity, and racial pride. We have the right to date, to marry white, and to raise our white children to be pro-white. We have the right to love our own people, and to raise our children to love themselves and their people. And above all else, white people have the right to unify, organize, and fight back against the rising tidal wave of anti-white hatred. Don't like it? Too fucking bad. That's your problem, not ours. The anti-white powers that be want you to believe that you don't have a right to be victorious. They want pro-whites to be defeated, broken, and conquered. But we have no intention of surrendering to their intimidation. Pro-white means supporting whites' rights to a collective sense of racial consciousness, identity, and pride. It means supporting whites' rights to pursue self-determination in our collective racial destiny. Whether anyone likes it or not, the white race has a right to be pro-white. White people don't lack in numbers. What we lack is unity. If we can figure out how to unify, organize, and fight back, show's over. We win. Historically speaking, when white people finally say enough is enough, the entire world trembles beneath our collective footsteps. But a kingdom that has once been destroyed can never come again into being, nor can the dead ever be brought back to life.
Welcome to the Resolution Radio Network at ResolutionRDO.com. You're listening to Sonny Thomas Show, and I am your host, Sonny Thomas. If you want to call in and listen now, it's area code 607-203-5423. That's 607-203-5423. You can follow us on various social media on Wimkin, Getter, Gab, Twitter, and Telegram at St. Thomas Show. And Wimkin, Getter, Gab, Twitter, oh, and, and Telegram at Resolution RDO, but on Twitter it's Resolution RDO and number one. We were experimenting on TikTok with the St. Thomas Show, but obviously they don't like white males who actually might actually try to tell people the truth. So uh, I had noticed since I tried that account just to see if it would work. Uh, I saw a lot of shadow banning. Uh, videos I had uploaded of um, black and white violence were immediately flagged and said it violated all these different um, uh, criteria. And then actually had an appeal process. And some of the things that I uploaded um, that were pro-white, I had actually downloaded from other Twitter, or I'm sorry, tw- uh, TikTok accounts and decided to, to uh recycle them and I even said specifically I got another account some of them you can um, their name tags on it so again that's a whole other issue um, so much to my chagrin uh, my cat was shit canned uh, last week so but you know the f- funniest thing is the worst part was shitty I mean really the only things that actually joined a lot of female positions. I saw guitarists, drummers, um, and a couple other guys that were playing some decent stuff, some cover songs. And I had was following a tornado. It was a weather thing, but it showed a lot of cool tornado footage. And I had also seen some cool martial arts stuff. Uh, some of it was a little hokey. Others was pretty cool. So, I mean, there was occasionally some good content on there, but every now and then, most of the shit you'd scroll through was these dumbass bimbo bitches who would sit up there and either they spend most of the time reading the screen of reading the comments, or um, they just had nothing to say. I mean, it was, just, it was just crap. I found one chick on there, and again, sadly, I don't remember her, her handle or anything. I found one chick on there actually did metal fabrication, and she did this badass fucking eagle project that she was working on the 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 wings were completely stretched out and she had taken sheet metal and stuff and basically had uh with with a cutting torch had been able to cut the stuff out and layer it and everything else i mean it was badass very intricate even the talons and everything i was like holy shit i mean pretty much if if she wanted to have a price for that she would have probably had a lot of bids uh, hell, I would if I had the money, I would offer a grand for it. I mean, seriously, that thing was fucking very detailed. And what made me most proud, it's great to see our women folk actually doing something constructive and something in, in a, a skill that not only can make a living off of, but they could actually uh, the next generation with that as well, whether it's their own actual biological children, uh, nephews, nieces, or even um, cousins or even grandchildren. So that's a skill that we are slowly losing in many ways. One of the things I've mentioned on the show many times before 
Um, is I, I get a product catalog from a uh, shipping company called Uline. So they keep me on their mailing list, and they send me a bunch of stuff up. And um, they oftentimes have some cool products in there overall. And what's interesting is um, the fifth or sixth last page from the back of the catalogs usually has commentary by the president of the company. And um, I still can never pronounce this lady's last name. It's Liz Yulhlein or whatever. Makes me wonder if she's Jewish. With that being said, though, a lot of the commentary that they have on these uh, back pages are usually very good. And they don't, just because you have a certain cover on it, doesn't mean you're going to get that same page with that cover on it. So what they do is they have like four or five different covers every time they put up that catalog. And then um, they'll vary that last page there. And so they have to have some pretty good commentary. So the, the my most recent catalog that I got in the mail always flip straight to that page just to see what the commentary is. And this one's a good one. Uh, the difference between the American dream and American values. This is actually pretty good. What is the American dream? Most people say it's a spouse, kids, a good job, and a nice house with a big yard. It's a belief that if you work hard, you can build a better life for your family. That dream is the reason people around the world have always come to America. What are American values? Uh-oh, ask people what American values we can agree on, and it falls apart. Today, we are a very splintered country. Seemingly, we have four political groups, far left, center left, center right, and far right. Now, I would interject in this and say far right is the probably the smallest splinter of all uh, compared to the other groups, especially the far left. Uh, because a lot of the hard right-wing stuff is its own myriad of uh, things, depending on how hardcore you want to get. Uh, what, if anything, can we agree on? Freedom, life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, equal opportunity for everyone, freedom, we seem to pretty much agree on. Crime, violent crime is a serious issue. The best cultural, academic institutions, and medical facilities are usually in our big cities. Businesses are leaving due to constant large-scale theft and crime. Will these all deteriorate? Homeless. Should, should they be allowed to live on the streets or not? If so, where? And let me add on that. I say I can never understand a country that would allow, especially its homeless veterans, to be homeless um, and not help them first but they'll let some migrant come in and fucking get a five-star hotel room who doesn't even want to be here, hates our food, hates our culture and everything else. They just want the freebies. And that's what we've kind of put out there, especially under Democrats, that basically you can come here, do whatever the fuck you want, and get paid for it. Well, a lot of that is socialism on a very good level, and will eventually push to outright communism. Like Ayn Rand said, socialism always leads to communism. That's actually pretty good. And like Margaret Thatcher said, the problem with socialism is you run out of other people's money. Uh, drugs. Marijuana was illegal for many years. We were told it was a gateway drug. Today, almost 45% of our population is using marijuana in some form or another. 
Marijuana impairs your ability to think quickly, weakens your motor skills, and can affect your memory. Now, some people say there's some medicinal purposes to fucking smoking pot, especially if you have cancer issues or some other stuff. I don't know how true that is, but um, at the same stroke, you know, I know guys that are quote-unquote responsible drug users. In other words, they come home, they get their shit together, had a long day at work, they'll go and get all their snacks together, whatever, tuck one up, and that's how they unwind. And they're responsible drug users. They don't got fucked up. They don't go and talk a bell on a, on a snack run. You know, they stay at home, and that's the way of unwinding. Again, what you do in a privacy of your home is your business, as long as it's not an outright criminal activity, like, you know, watching child porn, or even worse, creating child porn. Um, but, again... If you haven't seen the movie Sound of Freedom, you're really doing yourself a disservice. That film is now out available on DVD and for digital download, and I recommend you look up the Sound of Freedom website and um, check out the links to get that, that film. It did very well at the box office uh, on a small budget and uh, really powerful film. There's definitely required viewing, especially for any um, – right winger in any way shape or form to really know what the fuck is going on but this does happen on the unit party by the way but again i i am i understand the argument to decriminalize and legalize marijuana but i'm sorry again i don't want someone fucked up on pot out there driving around smacking into me bad enough i'm going to start dealing with illegal aliens who can't even read fucking road signs and, or don't care because that's how they drive on the dirt roads that are fucking third world shitholes. You know, I mean, that's that's the thing. We have a serious issue here. I mean, I know people who come here uh, um, from overseas on visas, and they have to go through a strict criteria to get their international driver's license just to be able to drive on these roads. I mean, it's crazy. But then they look at some of our rules and how we do the road here, and they're like, what the fuck? Especially if they come from most countries who drive on the other side of the road with a left-hand steering wheel. So right of way doesn't mean shit to them because they're kind of like, what the fuck does it even mean? So it's an interesting thing. But again, I'm I'm not for the legalization of marijuana, but I don't I definitely think it should be decriminalized. You know what I mean? My biggest issue is if you have there's issue two here in Ohio is the allowing of recreational marijuana. Again, that's a problem because if you have an accident at work, for example, if you drive a forklift. And you whack into something, first thing they do is they have you drug tested. Well, guess what? You're going to fail that drug test. Because if you use recreational marijuana, guess what? Bing, you're going to go uh, big old red flag, and then you're out of a job. I can never understand why people do drugs anyway. Because if, like, even in the 90s, you could get a job almost anywhere. But the thing is, that's the problem, is you can't always get a job. And you may be out, out of work for a month till your system cleans out. Why would you want to take the risk, especially if you have obligations and things, and or besides just paying rent? That's all another issue. Okay, moving on here. We're finishing up here with this article. Uh, gambling. It seems now anything goes. You can gamble at the casino, on your phone, and online. You can bet on any football game right from your couch. Is this what we want for our children? Absolutely not. I was totally against them trying to push that gambling shit here in Ohio, which they made a constitutional amendment. Now we can't get rid of the damn thing. So, I mean – I think the gambling casinos should be completely uh, closed down and raised. If you can't find something built there like a factory or a warehouse, then just destroy it altogether. 
immigration reform. This country was built on illegal was built on legal immigration. Immigrants are an asset. Open border policy with no legality is causing untold issues in our country. I know a lot of people come here as uh, as immigrants, play by the rules, and want to achieve the American dream. And and a lot of them make sure they don't even get a traffic citation because they don't want any hangups, especially events you go to. Um, Get their citizenship. Again, the people come here and play by the rules, I don't have a problem with, okay? You want to share in the American dream and want to be part of the American family? Fine. But generally speaking, leave your flag at home. You want to have your flag displayed inside your home, I don't give a fuck what you do. But if you have a, a flagpole out front of your house, I strongly recommend that you fly our flag, like Theodore Roosevelt said. We have one flag. We have one language. You know, we have one rule of law, not Sharia law. Not your ghetto law, not your fucking crazy shit, but there are also tongue-in-cheek laws that in our neighborhoods that you that are considered general decorum. Like you don't do certain things to certain people's houses. You don't mess with some someone's daughter. You don't piss or shit in their lawn. I mean, seriously, because there will be repercussions. Okay, energy policies. Full speed ahead on solar power and electric vehicles? Or can we be smarter? If we are not careful, we'll be having rolling blackouts. In addition, China is building 136 coal plants and manufacturing 97% of solar waters. Or solar wafers, sorry. Meanwhile, American politicians are talking about banning gas stoves. (laughs) You better be getting a Franklin stove. At least have it available in your arsenal. Lastly, elections. Yet another election. The candidate you like best in the primary may not be the one that win in the general election. Voting in primary elections deserves much more thought. What a mess. Stay calm, take a deep breath, and try to do the best you can. So, again, this is off of Uline.com. This is like one of the last pages in their uh, catalogs, and they always have some uh, really cool commentary uh, in the back of that thing. My guest this evening is Michael Gaddy. He's, he's uh, returning to uh, talk some uh, about some current events, and I want to get his take on some of the things going on, such as uh, things in the Middle East, uh, maybe some of the domestic issues going on here. It's kind of a free-for-all. I might just pitch something to him and just um, hear what he thinks about certain things because the fact that he's a very astute guy and um, um, also knows about a lot of history and especially American history. So always looking forward to um, his commentary. You can also check out his Substack at michaelgaddy.substack.com. He's got some really good stuff on there as well. And he really has an very impressive background. Uh, he is a career in the intelligence field, former vice president of the American Foundation for Accountability of Prisoners of War, and Michigan Action Student. Uh, in Michigan Action, sorry, student teacher and public speaker on the subject of the U.S. Constitution, Bill of Rights, and America's founding era for. Three decades. Very, very good stuff. Real quick, I want to play a very interesting clip uh, Josh Hawley um, had. Uh, he hammers this Biden stooge for handing over American energy to China. This is actually pretty damn good. A buddy of mine had just sent me this this evening, and I watched it before showtime. I was like, oh, this is great. And actually, I want to get Michael Gaddy's uh, take on this. So uh, this is um, Josh Hawley. And this is a really good clip. Of, uh, where are 50, where are 
54% of electric vehicles made globally. The entire point of uh, where are 54% of electric vehicles made globally? The whole point is no, I'm, I'm asking you a question. Where are 54% of electric vehicles made globally? I don't, you don't know? I don't know. China. Where is the, the critical? Well, wait, 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 hold on a minute. Hold on a minute. Where is 73% of cobalt refining? Where does it take place globally? Overseas. Where specifically? Probably China. Yeah, China. Where is most cobalt mining performed? Who owns most of the cobalt, cobalt mines in the world? Probably most of that sourcing is in Africa. China has the majority. 77% of electric vehicle cathodes are made in China. 92% of anodes are made in China. 66% of battery cells are assembled in China. The New York Times recently did a report on this. The New York Times is not a notably right-wing publication. They said, can the world make an electric car battery without China? Their conclusion, the only winner so far is China. My question is, why would we want to make our auto industry dependent on supply chains in China. Why is that a good idea? We don't. Then why are you doing it? The entire point of this conversation, the entire point of this hearing is to domesticate and make more reliable the sourcing of the materials. To then why are you shutting why are you shutting down critical mining in the United States? We're not. You are. Why did you close the twin metals mine in this country earlier this year? 225,000 acres in Minnesota which mines critical minerals like copper, nickel, cobalt. Again, the entire point of this conversation is to do mining in a responsible way that also reconciles with- In a responsible way. First of all, answer my question. Why did you close the Twin Metals mine? Because of the threat to the Boundary Waters, which is one of the largest economic drivers in Minnesota. So you think that we shouldn't have critical supply chains in the United States, jobs, good-paying jobs with labor protections in the United States? Not at the expense of one of the richest fish, fisheries in the United States and the world, such as in Alaska and the Pebble Mine, not at the... the Twin Metals Mine isn't in Alaska. It's in Minnesota. It's 225,000 acres in Minnesota. Correct. And my point is, uh, as we look to accelerate the development of domestic critical mineral mining, we have to do it in a way that does not... Uh, conflict with and deplete other important aspects of the economy in northern Minnesota. That includes the recreation economy and the boundary waters, which is uh, one of the main drivers of tourism. So you're, you're going to prioritize recreation over good-paying jobs here in this country for mining? You're going to withdraw this mine that has been online and now shutter it? The number of jobs generated by the boundary waters and tourism uh, dramatically uh, outpaces the potential of that moment. I thought it was critical that we had supply chains in this country, and yet you're shutting down critical mineral production in this country. Do you know instead what that's making us reliant on? Do you know what China's labor practices are? For instance, at their cobalt mine in the Democratic Republic of the Congo. Have you seen the reporting on this? You'll get no argument for me that uh, domestic sourcing... They use child labor is the answer to my question. Child labor. In harrowing condition. Also China story. uses Uyghur labor, yes. slave yes, labor. They yes, they do. And yet, you are making us dependent on imports from the Democratic Republic of the Congo, controlled by China, from Chinese-controlled and owned mines all across the world. You're shutting down our mines here in the United States. Well, we disagree about all of that. Would you support? Well, facts are facts, and sometimes they're tough. 
What's going to be really tough is when we don't have any auto jobs left in this country because you ship them all overseas. When we can't mine anything in this country because you're shutting it all down. And we all know why. It's in pursuit of your radical environmentalist agenda. That's the real answer here. So there's about a million different ways that the Biden administration sort of like climate environment um, agenda is hurting, you know, working class Americans. And it's also hurting shutting down mining and a lot of the resources that these Democrats are shutting down here are shifting over to China. And you see this over and over again. You see it as Josh Hawley pretty much grills this guy. Number one, this guy doesn't know what he's talking about for the most part. Uh, but number two, you know, he thinks that what he's going to replace the mine with, whether it's, you know, some tourist destination, et cetera, et cetera, is going to create as many jobs as the mine did in the first place. So when you get to the point where we are not energy dependent as a country, where you get to the point where we become so dependent as America on other places, particularly China, for our resources, that is not a strong position for America to be in. And it's the longer term goal of the the climate crazies and the environmental crazies and, and all of this other stuff. The longer term goal, I believe, is to literally bring American manufacturing to bring the American working class to its knees. They want to force this environmental agenda on America. And if you know what the game for it is, the Green New Deal still exists, by the way. The Green New Deal is what this is all about. And when you look at the Green New Deal, there is very little about the environment in it, but there is very much about this sort of left-wing socialist wish list of universal pre-K, quote-unquote free, um, college, quote-unquote, free health care, et cetera, et cetera. So at the end of the day, fundamentally, that agenda is what all of this stuff is about, and it is hurting working-class Americans. So you cannot disagree with that, uh, the commentator's words afterwards as well. It's, it's obviously an agenda, and they are determined to bring the manufacturing ability of this country down to its knees. And we see that under every Democratic administration, especially the last two usurpers that have been put into that particular office. So, again, uh, some interesting stuff there. So I definitely think these are some things that need to be seriously addressed. And more importantly, um, my biggest issue is what's next in the stack is they got a whole bunch of shit they're going to pull on us, that's for sure. All right, I'm going to bring on um, Michael Gaddy and get his take on that particular thing. Again, since uh, that's fresh in our minds, I thought Sonny really hammered this dipshit really well. And it's clearly obvious that the guy was completely unprepared. He does know his facts. Um, unlike Michael Gaddy, you could throw almost any topic at him, and he'll probably ha uh, have a not only a, a very detailed response, he'll at least be – generally competent of whatever the topic is that you can at least have a conversation. You know what I mean? Michael, welcome back to the St. Thomas show. Oh, Sonny, thank you so very much for inviting me to be back again. Uh, yes, sir. Like I said, in our last conversation, we, we covered a lot of stuff about, um, oh, I've got a myriad of topics. We talked about some of the issues about the Vietnam war, as well as them taking down Confederate monuments um, and also talk about uh, just some interesting history in this country about how a lot of us are misled to believe that certain events um, happened in this country, and it actually wasn't that way at all, especially after 
you yourself kind of went into the National Archives and, and did some research, and you were absolutely stunned um, by the, um, the truth about a lot of the misleading uh, myths that have been floating around this country for well over a century in some in some cases. So, I mean, when you hear this dipshit from the EPA guy or whatever, you know, trying to blow smoke up Josh Hawley's ass when he clearly obviously is handing his ass to him, you know, what are your thoughts on that? Because it's pretty obvious that the Democrats have been trying to destroy the manufacturing base of this country for a long time, and I can't understand why dumbass unions will always back the Democrat knowing that the Democrat is eventually going to phase out their jobs. I mean, like Trump was talking about recently, oh, they got this strike going on. They want this pay, and they wanted to have four-day work week, blah, blah, blah. Oh, sure. Well, you know what? Well, they'll probably get it. But the man of the those jobs will be gone because goal is to bring the manufacturing ability of this country to its knees. What are your thoughts? Well, Sonny, as I look at this, there are several things and you know, my years of uh, research and study have taught me that uh, if we get into this two-party paradigm where, you know, we blame the other party for everything, uh, we are on a dead-end road to nowhere because the fact of it is, is that it doesn't make any difference who's in control. Some of the worst atrocities in the history of this country have occurred under Republican leadership. Abraham Lincoln's a prime example. And mm-hmm. so I don't I don't play the party deal. I, I don't do that. I like uh, the uh, professor emeritus from the University of South Carolina, history professor, Clyde Wilson, uh, such a wonderful man, such a very intelligent man. He wrote a book, and that book is, is very good, and I would suggest that for anyone. And it's called The Democrats Are the Evil Party and the Republicans Are the Stupid Party. <laughs> That's about right. And, uh, you know, he hits it right there on the head as far as I'm concerned. And, you know, even Carol Quigley tried to warn us in the 60s what was coming. He said, you know, we, we have set this deal up to where every few years Americans can really think they're changing their leadership, but nothing nothing different ever really happens. And when we look at that, we have to admit, if we are honest with ourselves, that that is true. Now, as uh, far as the gentleman who were from the EPA He's just quoting what he is paid to quote. Mm-hmm. Doesn't mean doesn't mean he believes it. Doesn't mean anything else. But he is following the uh, process, and that is where the people who want to lie to you to get you to do what they want you to do pay people to tell you lies to get you to do what you what they want you to do. So, you know, I I think so often, Sonny, of that uh, great quote by the CIA director, William Casey, in 1982. (laughs) This is confirmed. We will know our disinformation program is complete when everything the American public believes is false. Now, that's 40 years ago. 
that's yeah. funny. Do you think they've accomplished their purposes yet? Oh, even more so uh, uh, towards the end of Usurper Obama's reign that um, he authorized them to uh, use full propaganda on the American people and had budgeted billions of dollars towards that. And, of course, it ran out within like uh, six, nine months into Trump's um, uh, term. And um, um, it was clearly obvious because a lot of these left-wing outlets and stuff were all failing. So this money was to help keep it propped up, essentially. But it's clearly obviously it was collapsing because you see, you know, Vice and um, some of these other left-wing news groups and stuff like this, they're all failing because of the fact that nobody wants to read an article and be told just how bad this country is or how bad we are. I mean, I'll give you an example. I used to uh, write album reviews for local bands uh, in a local um, uh, rag here. And all my reviews were positive. You know, I, I just didn't see the point of taking an album, spending the time to dissect it, and um, try my best to describe it, and slam how terrible it was. Where it's so much easier to, for me to go, here's the things that I really liked about the record, or compare it through my filter of influence, the things that I thought I heard, or whatever. And I'm not an accomplished musician at all. So, I mean, I may not sit there and go into someone's tone or whatever, but I can listen to the mix of the album and say, wow, the mix on this drums are really good for this band, or the bass on this actually sounds like you can actually hear it. I'm like, you know, a lot of Metallica records, you can't hear the bass player. But, I mean, um, you know, you could sit there and, and actually have general commentary, and I would always write positive reviews. On, and, you know, these bands took the time to, re- to write this stuff, record it, a lot of money was uh, – they do regular gigs to help pay the, some of those costs off. And so they appreciate someone like me who's who's a, a fan who has a mouthpiece and say, hey, I really like this album. Uh, majority of the tracks on this record are pretty good, and here's why I think why. That it might actually encourage someone to want to go to a gig or buy the CD. But, I mean, most of the left-wing stuff you read, like Hot Air and Daily Beast and all that stuff – it's so anti-American. It's like it actually is a waste of time to even read the crap. No, I couldn't agree more, but may I ask you a question, please, Sonny? Yes, sir. Who have you ever heard as a political commentator whose efforts were worth a million dollars a week? Sure as hell wasn't Rush Limbaugh, that's for sure. Well, he's the guy who signed a contract for a million dollars a week. Are you talking about Limbaugh? Yes. Yeah. So well, here's he was, the uh, question. Aid Shill. <laughs> yes, yes. And so is Mark Levin. So is Sean Hannity. So oh, Hannity, is Tucker definitely. Carlson. These people have millions upon millions of dollars. Mark Levin's never done anything productive in his life, and he's worth $300 million. Sean Not Hannity only that, has you ever listen to Sean Hannity? Hannity when he talks about Mark yeah, Levin? Well, he, he's yeah, polishing his well, knob every time he mentions his name, man. Well, and Sean Hannity's worth $270 million, so what does that tell you? And he was number two talk radio guy for a long time behind Limbaugh. But the question right. is, who replaced Limbaugh? Because no one can replace it. I mean, I, you got to give credit where credit's due. 
the guy was a stalwart for a long time, and every now and then he would hit a few uh, home runs in his commentary. But for the most part, though, um, I don't know any other talk show hosts that would have the listenership that he does, especially during that time period. Who brought him into prominence, Sonny? As far as actually who, who put him on him national talk radio? Yes, who put him on the? Who took him out of Sacramento, California, and put him on national uh, national radio? And then you know he had his own TV show. Who did all that? Are you aware? Are you still there, Sonny? Hello. Okay, we are back. Um, okay, I'm not hearing anything. So we'll go with that. All right. Um, Michael, if you're listening, go ahead and call back in. Um, I've been having some dropout issues. Okay, so we got that taken care of. All right. Um, yeah, actually, I, 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 know, I kind of know the story behind that, but I don't know exactly who's the main one that actually brought Limbaugh on. So I'm looking forward to this. Um, I'm sure there's probably a interesting character behind that, that's for sure. Okay, well, like I said, we have some technical difficulties here, but um, at least I've got it uh, situated here. So let's wait for Michael to call back in. So I want to get uh, his follow-up on that. Figure out what's going Ah, here we go. Great. Okay, Michael, we got you back on. Hello? Hello? Okay, can you hear me now? Yeah, I can hear you now. Okay, good. All right, so um, you, you left us on suspense there. I, I vaguely remember the story, but who was the main individual or group that was behind getting Limbaugh on um, National Talk Radio? Have you ever heard of the Bain Corporation? B-A-N-E? B-A-N-E, yes, sir. Sounds vaguely familiar. Refresh my memory. Well, it was a huge media conglomerate owned by Mitt Romney. Of course. Of course. And this is back they, in, what, 1988? Well, this was back when you have to remember they, they're very brilliant with the way they do these things. Mm-hmm. What you do, What you do when you're running something like this is you bring someone in to criticize someone who is so easy to criticize, it's impossible to fail. Mm -hmm. So Limbaugh was brought in nationally to criticize the Clinton administration in the 90s. Mm -hmm. Okay, so how hard is that? How hard is it to criticize Clinton? Well, yeah, now that would be good. 
good, good old Bubba. He's got a nice, yeah. impressive resume. Yeah, you, you mean uh, David Rockefeller's son? Yes. <laughs> Makes you wonder. He was adopted, you know. Well, no, he was. The, I've been to Arkansas. I spent two years in Arkansas. Bill Clinton was David Rockefeller's son, and almost everybody in Arkansas knows that. Wow. Kind of like, um, what was the name of his supposed son that he had with a black prostitute? Something Williams. Yeah, Dan, same, Dan, Dan same Williams? Mm-hmm. Well, I have the good fortune of having as a very close friend for many years a pilot in Arkansas who was contracted, even when he was attorney general, to fly Clinton to places he didn't want people to know he was going. Mm-hmm. So I picked up an awful lot of information from this gentleman. And then I got, you know, very up close and personal when I was in Arkansas. Uh, I got very – some. I lived only – the home that I had was only 20 miles from Mena. And I got to know the people, know the people in Mena who were just full of information about the huge drug deal that was being run out of Mena during the '90s that involved both the Clinton family and the Bush family. Was that with Barry Steele? That was him. Mm-hmm. Yeah, my friend so, uh, Tom Cruise did a whole movie on that. Yeah. Uh, I actually, I had this friend, I had stopped into this gun shop. I'm a gun fanatic. And I had stopped into this gun shop when I first moved into the area near Mina. And I stopped in and I talked with this gentleman. It was a combination gun shop, pawn shop. And I had uh, some really good conversations with this gentleman, very honest gentleman. And uh, he had a, a business called Mountain Pond and gun Mm -hmm. and uh so i got to know paul real well and so during the course of our conversations i was talking to him about mina and the uh deal with the illegal drugs flying in and out barry steel the whole deal and he told me he said well he said would you be interested in talking to the former sheriff who was sheriff when all that was going on i said i would love it So so the meeting was set up, and I'm sitting talking to the former sheriff, and he was telling me about all of the things that happened. The first thing was a lot of people are probably unaware is that in that area in Mena, Arkansas, there's an awful lot of people who are in the poultry business. Mm -hmm. There are poultry farms almost everywhere, and – you know, it, it was quite a lucrative business. Well, the sheriff began to get his first complaints when these planes were flying in low at 2 and 3 o'clock in the morning to the airstrip. And when they were overflying these, uh, uh, you know, poultry facilities, the uh, they were going nuts. You know, the chickens were going nuts from this, this, this sound at 2, 3 o'clock in the morning. So that was his mm-hmm. first complaint. He said, my second 
pardon me, my second complaint was when I had bankers from MENA coming in to my office and saying, Sheriff, how do I handle this? I've got people coming into my bank with shopping bags full of money, cash money, and they want to deposit it. How do I handle this? I know there's some federal regulations, but how do you want me to handle this? Mm-hmm. So from those things, the sheriff got really involved in trying to apprehend or trying to find out what the Dickens was going on in Mina at that time. And almost immediately, first of all, it was the state police of Arizona, I mean, I'm sorry, Arkansas, that was on his case. And it was very, in essence, it says, okay, Sheriff, knock it off. Sit back, shut up, and let it happen. Well, the man was a, the man was a man of morals and integrity, and he couldn't do that. Mm-hmm. So he resigned, and he showed me the uh, – newspaper article when he resigned and he said in effect people I am resigning because as sheriff of this county I cannot arrest a man for possessing a ounce of marijuana and him going possibly to prison for that and yet we've got people in this bringing just absolutely millions of dollars worth of drugs into this county and I'm supposed to look the other way. I can't do that. So that was his now that we saw in like even shows like Miami Vice in the nineteen eighties, how the fact that, you know, that they got a lead on a guy or a group and they're trying to go after him and bust him and then right when they're getting ready to swoop in or, or do whatever, they get the payments pulled out from under them. They'll be like, Oh yeah. no, we gotta let this guy go because of the fact that he's an informant. By matter of fact, uh um, Bruce Willis, when he did a guest appearance on there, he was a gun runner. And what did was he had a crew, and they would steal uh, guns from uh, uh, the armor, uh, the army armory. And so he got right. a whole bunch of stuff, including some Stinger rockets or whatever, and then um, showed how one of them worked. So obviously that's one they had last to sell. But he uh, – the, the the feds came down and, and told the vice division that they couldn't do it because of the fact that he was part of a larger sting operation and said they need to keep them in play. And I'm just like, are you freaking kidding me? He's like, I'm not going to let these these uh, you know these uh, automatic pistols get on the street. He's like, I tell you what, you can keep your precious guns off your off your Miami streets, but the but the guy's not going to jail. And so he set it up where he could bust them, but then the guy would get right off. And as soon as they took him to court, they they basically um, made him uh, release the guy. And, of course, he'd been smacking his wife around. So uh, she she was perturbed that he was going to get away. And so she's like, fuck that. She pulled a pistol out and shot him right there on the steps. So, I mean, again, the guys were totally handcuffed. They couldn't do their job because federal bureaucracies. And then, you know, and the whole drug war is a farce anyway, but how many guys who honestly believe in law and order as well as that have taken an oath have, have gotten so short-sighted or completely disgruntled uh, because of the fact that they're, they're, the system is actually working against them, you know what I mean? So a lot of these guys feel like they can't even do their damn jobs that they've sworn an oath to do. 
Well, Sonny, unfortunately, and it's a tough pill to swallow, and most Americans do not want anything to do with it, but in reality, the United States government, whether it's led by Democrats or Republicans, is the largest criminal enterprise in our history. Oh, I believe it. So it doesn't make any difference who you put in charge of a crooked operation. I mean, you can change the leaders of the mafia all you want to. Mm-hmm. They know, they know just like politicians, if they cross the wrong people, they're done. So it's not it's not an issue. It is a very 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 corrupt institution. It's corrupt to the core. But yet we as a people keep supporting it. Yeah, I mean, it's like no different than the Gambinos and the Genoveses, you know, or the Crips and the Bloods, yeah. except they're not actually yeah. slaughtering themselves out in the streets. Well, that's a very good analogy, Sonny, and that, that's where we are in this country. And it, it has always amazed me is that the number of people, of course, you know, there are so many instances I could go into about the masses. You know, the even going back and looking at some of the, something which was my recent research was something I'd been wanting to do for a long time. I wanted to go back and get as many sermons from the colonial era of America, as many sermons as I could actually find. Mm-hmm. Because I thought... I thought in researching the sermons, what are the preachers saying from the pulpit to the people? And well, that, the, 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 these guys were that black hat brigade, you know, so they also ended up becoming uh, militia leaders. Well, ironically, the thing I found, Sonny, was that when we compare 1760 with 2023, when it comes to human beings, there is little to no difference. You're always going to have a group of people who want to control everybody else for their own profit. And the problem is, is that we give them a government to do it with. You have I mean, to make it, it, legal. it would be, yeah, it would be easy enough dealing with a group of criminals. I, I don't mean easy in fact, but it would be easier to deal with a group of petty criminals if they didn't have all of the forces of the United States government on their side. Yeah, at least they're pretty upfront. That that you you know they're going to cut the cut your head off and shit down your throat. At least you know that going in. Here it's like you know what they're going to do, but they're going to get you seven ways from Sunday. Yeah, and it's uh, you know so many people are unaware, uh, Sonny, that. Uh, after 9-11, the law enforcement training in America, federal, state, local, whatever that federal law, whatever that law enforcement training might be, suddenly the driving force behind it was Mossad of Israel. Oh, yes. And our, today, the people who go through the various police force academies are taught to treat Americans like the Israelis treat Palestinians. Oh, I, and again, it, it's interesting that you say that because of the fact that um, that's why a lot of people, surprisingly, would be in support of the defund the police movement because of the fact that, um, you know, 
we, we've seen in so many operations how they are told to get quotas. I mean, there's that famous uh, audio tape in New York City where they're told them that at certain times of month they have to get these quotas, and then if they don't get them, it, it, then it's on their ass. And so they have to go out and bust and, and write tickets on some of the most damnedest little things you can think of, I mean, nitpicking, so they can get that quota up and, and get that money coming in. And there's another issue, too, is because of the fact that most of law enforcement spends its time on traffic citations. I mean, on average, they waste 40 minutes a day pulling someone over, getting their information, writing them a citation, and then taking a sweet-ass time, and then um, the guy can finally get on their merry way. Uh, so, I mean, the generating revenue, what, what really bothers me the most is that a lot of the people they, they hit are uh, – people that are very underprivileged, people that were at minimum wage jobs, um, maybe lucky enough to barely even afford to drive a car, uh, much less keep, keep in good working order. And then these, those are the ones that usually get profiled. And so they don't realize that some of these citations, you know, you're looking at the red light, whatever, hell, that could be a $175 fine. That's before you even go to court. And then you got to do all the cars on top of it. And so for many people like that, dude, that, that could be that, – they can get evicted for not being able to pay their rent because now they got to pay a damn citation, you know, or people in yuppies and stuff as he drive by that blow through signs all the time just because they got a Mercedes or BMW, uh, they get a pass, you know. So, I mean, they're always out there going after people. So I think that's why a lot of the lower class – would be all for defunding the police because they feel like they're just being profiled every time they go start a vehicle up. Well, Sonny, we've all heard about the debacle, at least I think most people remember the debacle that occurred in Ferguson, Missouri years ago. Yes. We ended up with all, all of the riots and everything else. I read an official report that came out of Ferguson when they interviewed the people in Ferguson, Missouri, the great number of whom were black. But here was the thing that was going on in Ferguson, Missouri. And that was, you know, several of the blacks put in their official reports that we were afraid to call the police. Because if we call the police about something happening, we ended up going to jail. Yes. So, they had a very valid point in Ferguson, Missouri. I'm not ever saying that, you know, shooting and killing someone in cold blood is uh, is uh, justified in any way, shape, form, or fashion. But I mean, when we look at the look at the actual truth, and Americans have been uh, the victim of psyop after psyop after psyop. Americans do not use their brain; they use their emotions. Yes, and. And so many of them will outwardly tell you, if I don't know it, it can't be true. Not to mention a globalist, um, a lot of the same ones that pushed uh, the abolition of slavery. When those, when those oh, abolitionists yeah. basically went away after uh, the Civil War, they had to come up with something new. So they became now the, the uh, purveyors of the suffragette movement, which was getting women the right to vote. And what was the reason why they wanted women the right to vote was the fact that two reasons. One is we can divide up the households because they know – obviously, that psychology was an accepted science by then. 
that women vote more for emotional issues and emotional level than men vote more logically. So that means men would probably more likely to vote Republican and women are more likely to vote Democrat, especially when they're young. It's when they actually start getting middle aged and start making money and starting to, you know, maybe kids are grown, want to start, you know, get things settled up so they can start thinking about their retirement. Then they start leaning more towards Republican because they want to keep more of their money. But then, you know, the Rockefellers had said specifically, not only did we uh, support women's right to vote, but we also pushed for women to get out in the workplace because of the fact that now we could tax them twice as much. We could tax the husband and the wife. And then most importantly, that means they have to send their kids to school. Once we got the kids in school, we can start indoctrinating them. So this is, you know, Aaron Russo actually talked about that extensively in his last interview yes, with did. Alex Jones before he died. And he went into a lot of detail, and and a lot of Rockefeller's own commentary in his books reflected that. Yes. Yes, Aaron Russo uncovered an awful lot of that, and it was exactly true. And uh, exactly what he was saying was exactly what the government is doing. And the problem is that you get people to have an emotional attachment to something, Sonny. And if they get an emotional attachment to something, logic is thrown out the window. And that is what psyops are designed to do, is to make everyone emotional about stuff. I mean, well, here, you know, here's a prime example. What's going on in the Middle East right now, um, I, don't, I, don't know if, uh, I didn't have a chance to send you a link or not, but Nick Fuentes was on uh, InfoWars yesterday, and boy, I, if I didn't know better – I see he actually red-pilled Alex. It was interesting because he was talking about, he said, well, the problem we have right now with this whole situation over there is they come from two perspectives. One is you have to either be pro-Israel or you have to be anti-Palestinian. So what he says, but I'm, I'm an America first guy. So that automatically cancels me out because I'm not taking that side. And not to mention with the way that they've given it to you, it's two sides of the coin. In other words, heads I win, tails you lose type of situation. So there's no way that you can side even if you wanted to. And and I had started well, seeing that when that shit first came out. You saw them going after people at Harvard and all these other guys. And, and even Dave Chappelle was attacked on stage uh, for his general uh, pro-Palestinian uh, fight because of the fact that, well, you know, obviously – I mean, you know, when, when, even I've made comments on social media and says, oh, you want to cry about a thousand Jews that got attacked. But how about the tens of thousands of Palestinians that they've killed over the last several decades, you know? Nobody sheds a tear for them. So, I mean, you know, it makes their argument a little bit more legitimate because the the Israelis is more the aggressor nation. You know, a Palestinian kid throws a rock over the wall. They throw rockets back and take out the whole freaking neighborhood. Yet no one ever says anything about it. Well, there's another thing too, Sonny, and I brought that up uh, just the past couple of days on social media. And that is, you know, exactly what you're talking about with that. You know, we have these uh, things happening, you know, like that. And But conversely, you know, what we know to be truth is just, you know, look at the uh, Hamas. Israel situation, and mm-hmm. I did a I did a show with a fellow NSA former NSA employee, 
And, of course, we were in different eras. But he and I did a show together recently where we talked about the fact that most Americans are totally unaware of that, the simple fact that Israel created Hamas. Yeah, 1974, I think it was, wasn't it? Yeah, it's a it's a Hamas operation, and it was done because of Yasser Arafat and the PLO, the Palestinian Liberation Organization. Gold in my ear said, "Oh well, we can't have this. They've got too much strength. They've got too much. They've got too many people. We have to do something to split them up." Mm-hmm. So what we'll do? So what we'll do here is we will finance an opposing group, which fits yeah, right in. Yeah, which fits right in with the Mossad, uh, you know, their uh, motto, by deception, we make war. So what they did, and here was the thing is when my friend uh, uh, Blackbird9 and I, when we did this program, I read from official Jewish documents documenting the fact that Hamas was created by Israel and you know what? Even in America today, you can show people the evidence, and they don't want to believe it, and they won't believe it because yep. it doesn't make them feel good. Yep. And, and, and here's something else I, I was listening today. Uh, Jones had a commentator on that was talking about – because one of the things that, the, that a lot of the commentator have been hearing was that it looked like Israel stood down for several hours while the attack was going on. I was like, well, what the they hell did. is going on? They supposedly have this huge, sophisticated intelligentsia network, and, and it completely failed, like like uh, NORCOM did on 9-11. Like, what the fuck? And so the guy said, oh, no, probably it's a complete inside job because there was uh, there's two individuals that work for or uh, are associated with a company over there called uh, Paragon, and it's like one of the main, I guess, defense um uh, uh, companies or whatever over there, and um, they had basically threatened Netanyahu that if he didn't go along with doing certain things or whatever, that there would be consequences. And he basically told them to go screw themselves. So there was no, watch this, we're going to screw you, buddy. So basically, uh, Iran had sent out a tweet with, uh, I guess, pictures of these two individuals, which I assume is probably their um, their shields inside the network, and try to figure out what that was going on, and then basically they got hacked, and so they made their whole apparatus stand down while this shit was going on. So that's why you're hearing a lot of confusion where they're going, how in the hell could this happen? We we got the best sophisticated network in the world, and yada, yada, yada. And all these fuckers came in, and they, they attacked us, and paragliders, and all this other bullshit. How, and, I mean, from my understanding, the Israelis are really pissed at their government. Well, if someone sabotaged that whole damn thing, why aren't they being strung up on the highest tree? You know, that's that's what I don't get. But that's what they do. It's just like we talk about here. You know, these politicians are all bought and paid for or blackmailed. Um, they're bankrolled as soon as they get their campaigns go through, and um, basically they have to um, they have to pay the piper. And that's why you see a lot of people in Congress or in the White House as soon as they get in there. They do it about face and go almost 90 degrees the opposite direction. So, I mean, that's an interesting situation there. And, uh, you know, just something as simple as, uh, you know, I can have an intern. And, and obviously you've been to D.C. You know, they got the, the subways where they got like the underground little um, 
eateries and all that stuff. You know, a lot of congressional members would go down there on the lunch tower and say, okay, the intern's talking a bill with them. So, okay, here, go ahead and come with me to lunch so we can catch up on this. And next thing you know, they're just sitting there. And, of course, it's a male congressman, a female intern. And she's like, okay, uh, this is what I found on this bill. Such and such said they'll support it. These guys won't, blah, 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 blah. Or she's like, I, I was really trying to get a hold of this other intern so I could talk to that other congressman, but she won't return my calls. Maybe they get a little upset, and he just calms her down and says, it's okay. We'll, we'll get this taken care of. All of a sudden, snapshot goes off, click, and all you see is a hand on her hand. It makes it look like there's some hanky-panky going on. And then all of a sudden, uh, a, a photo gets sent to his wife and says, oh, look, your husband's uh, really showing an interest in his intern. All she has to do is cast doubt in the spouse's mind. And next thing you know, he thinks she thinks there's something going on. And then you got to deal with that bullshit. So, I mean, these guys get blackmailed all the time, man. Well, they're owned and controlled, and a lot of people really don't understand, Sonny. And I know this for a fact, that after each election in this country, every two years, any new members to Congress are provided shortly after they're sworn in they, their families, uh, and some of their staff are provided with 11 to 14-day all-expense-paid tours of Israel. Oh, of course. And no other country can do that. So here they are. Yes, everything is free. They go, you know, they're, they're taught Jewish history. They're taught all of this other stuff. And... Then, you know, then they come back and they're seated in their seats in Congress after being fully indoctrinated with Israel's BS. Well, that makes sense. That really makes sense. Of course, AIPAC, you know, pretty much if you don't have back of AIPAC, you don't get elected as president. I mean, it's pretty obvious. I was trying to think of the guy's name in Las Vegas. Uh, maybe you can help me with that. I'm not sure mm-hmm. if he's still alive, but he was Jewish. He was one of the uh, big casino owners in Vegas. Yeah. And, uh, um, uh, was it Mendelssohn or whatever? I can't remember right off the top of my head, Sonny, yeah, but he, I he do remember. Like, right, like earlier this year, right? Late, or late last yeah. year? Yeah, I read in uh, some Israeli newspapers uh, where reporters who were there with him uh, Saul, something. I, it'll come to me in a minute. But anyway, some of the people who were there with him, American politicians, and he wrote in the uh, Israeli newspapers about how the American politicians would come in and kiss his hand and lick his boots. <laughs> or that's reason the mafia. Uh, mafia. There it is, Saul Adelson. That's who it was. Yeah, yeah. They, yes. they, they would they would come in and beg him for his endorsement, beg him for his help. Thing you need to think of: if a presidential candidate has to go somewhere to beg for help, they don't give a shit about you. Yes, not only that, but mind. when Rain Paul uh, decided to run for president um, in 2016, and, and I was I was a little upset about that because of the fact that I was a big Ron Paul supporter. I supported Rain when he ran for Senate, but he made a promise that he was going to run for one term. Now, obviously, 
if the people of Kentucky said, no, we want you to stay our senator, that's different because essentially you've been drafted by your constituents. That's that's a little more acceptable. If, if anything, I think it's more honorable, you know. But, um, but yeah, he's still a junior senator. So he ain't got no business even thinking about going to the, the next level because really I think if you go to the Senate, you need to complete one full term as senator because it's six years. That's a long time. You should do one full term as senator before you just think about running for president because of the fact that you have to understand how the machine works. And secondly, I, I, I was a lot of people I talked to had, had had the same consensus on Rand that he was like 90 to 95% his father. But when it comes to um, Israel and other things, he is no Ron Paul. Uh, he, he will genuflect to Israel and his Israeli uh, groups. And um, even though he questions the Federal Reserve, he doesn't do, make any moves to go against it. So that was a big difference between Rand Paul and Ron Paul. Ron Paul is the American statesman. I've never seen him, any pictures with him with the, uh, the little Jewish beanie cap on. But yet I found a picture immediately of Rand Paul right there at the Wailing Wall with the cap on. And I was like, well, he's bought and paid for. So that must go part of that trip you talked about where as soon as they get them in office, well, they got an all-expenses-paid trip to Israel. Yeah, and that, you know, and APAC, uh, of course, uh, foots the bill for all that. And, oh, yeah, but, they probably write it off. <laughs> here, here's the thing, Sonny, that, you know, having been, as I describe it, within the bowels of this monster, let me tell you something, is that William Casey said in 82, the majority of what you see on the news is, is false. We don't know if there was an actual battle in Israel. We don't know any of that stuff for real. All we have to do is we have to depend on sources that we were we ourselves have said multitudinous times are you can't trust them. But it's funny thinking about an American. An American will say. Well, the media is wrong. The media does this. The media does that. But as soon as the media says something they want to believe, they believe it. Well, not that, but have you seen any actual war footage in the Ukraine? I haven't even seen drone footage. And then I saw one guy did a, a really interesting thing. He goes over there, right, and in all these cities that they suppose they're bombed and all this shit, he's got actual uh, photographs of these buildings that are apparently war-torn and everything else. They, he sits there, and when you see the picture, it's a zoom-in of the photograph, right? So you can't tell he's holding up a photo. And then it's like, wow, look at the damage on this thing, man. Holy shit. Then he drops the photo, and you see the building. It's pristine. There's not a damn thing wrong with it. Yep. So here's the other, thing, the other thing to stop and think about, Sonny, is if there is no war going on in the Ukraine, who's getting all this damn money? Right. I mean, that, and that's not like too is because of the fact that, um, uh, you know, I got a friend of mine who lives over in Russia, and she's, I was talking about some of the propaganda was over here, and she said uh, that I was right. And I said, you know, I, I just have to say, and I, and I know Putin's ex-KGB and all that other shit, he's well-trained, but I will say this, he's very precise when he comes out with his statements. And I honestly, between you, Super Obama, even Trump, and definitely Biden, 
that when Putin speaks, I listen because of the fact that oftentimes he's got a history lesson in his point that he's trying to make, and his his points are spot on. It's irrefutable. Probably 95% of it is probably exact what happened in history and why he's bringing it up is for reference, you know. And uh, uh, and he's apologized about the Soviet past and some of the atrocities that they've done uh, um, as a government official and, and leader of the people. He said a lot of it was beyond their control, you know. But, I mean, the thing is, when I listen to Putin talk, I actually listen because of the fact that, to me, he actually has something to say. You listen to Obama, he's talking out both sides of his mouth. You know, Trump is like a bad blues singer, man. He repeats himself a lot. And then, you know, it, you can't really trust exactly what it says. And, of course, Biden is going to even read the instructions on the damn teleprompter. That's how clueless that fucker is. Well, Sonny, here's a good question for you. How many American politicians speak fluent Russian? Not very many. I mean, besides Condoleezza Rice, <laughs> not probably not many. Well, we have, uh, uh, as you said, we have, uh, you know, uh, the leader of Russia, who spo- who can speak very fluent English and Russian. I've never heard and Putin speak English, actually. Oh, I've I've got some speeches of his from uh, eight ten years ago. Very hmm. very eloquent, very very eloquent in English. I mean, he uh, he has the Russian accent. Yes, that is true. But he his uh, grammar. Everything is very good. He's very well educated. And I've often wondered why, you know, American politicians, you know, to me, that's a plus. Here's a man who can a full presentation in his own language, and then he can give a presentation in English, another language. And we don't have any people with that educational level in America. I I have noticed a lot of people that have English as a second language. Um, they speak it so much better than we do. I mean, you know, I, me personally, as an American, <laughs> I like listening to British English speakers because the fact that it is their language, and many of them master it. You know, like one of my hobbies is, uh, you know, I listen to Beatles and stuff, is I, I like collecting their interview discs. And you oftentimes hear press conferences and stuff where they would ask the Beatles, um, you know, interesting questions of the day. And it's interesting to listen to these young guys from Liverpool through their socialist influence and hearing their commentary uh, to questions that are asked them of things of the time. And, and I listen to how they talk, but I'd like to listen to British uh, commentators. That being said, uh, you know, another rocker that I, I listen to is a guy named King Diamond, you know. Uh, he was in a black metal band in the 80s called Merciful Fate. Then he went solo and did a lot more concept horror albums. But the funny thing is, though, you listen to his English, he speaks English very well. I mean, we're talking uh, very little slang, um, precise grammar. I mean, so I said a lot of those people that have English as a second language speak it betterly than most Americans. Of course, we have, we have so many influences here that we have a lot of slang we picked up from different cultures. I mean, even the word kosher, it can be almost the same as copacetic, you know. I mean, just the way it's usage and stuff, um, or even calling someone a putt, you know, is a typical term, or uh, some of the other shit. Though, I mean, there's there's a lot of Jewish slang and stuff that's been kind of incorporated into our our lexicon. 
especially some of the uh, some of the um, Italian and the commentary and stuff. But I mean, the thing is, you know, I, I like listening to British speakers because it's their language. I mean, a lot of the words that they would use, I know the words, I know the definitions. I don't use them on my everyday English, but I go, hey, you know, um, I, I'm going to up my uh, vernacular a little bit because in fact, I don't like sound like some hick from the uh, from the cornfields of Ohio. I actually like, sound like a guy who actually can find his ass in two hands. You know what I mean? So I, I like listening to it and trying to prove my English. Hell, I didn't even think I had an accent until I got on the radio back in high school and realized that I do have a Daytonian accent that we oftentimes saw from the consonants in the middle of the words. So I, I actually endeavored to uh, sound better. So I actually became a better speaker. But, uh, you know, like you're saying here, someone like, Putin, who still has a, you know, obviously going to have a rich Russian accent, and, and I've listened to other Russian commentators that speak very good English and uh, and usually drive it straight to the point. I mean, these guys speak so much better than most of our American politicians. Well, uh, Sonny, wasn't it George Bernard Shaw who said that the English and the Americans are two people separated by a common language? Yes, very yes. much so. Well, we look at just the, the word uses. I mean, you know, over there a fag is a cigarette butt. Here a fag right. is a homosexual. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But they would say homosexual. They would. They wouldn't say the term fag. Yeah. It, it's just. It just seems a little. You know, just like they've had so many bloody wars over there, that bloody. It is a common version of basically saying fucking for everything. So, I mean, you know, oh, bloody hell. You know, I mean, it's uh, bloody well right. You know, it's just, it's part of their, of who they are as a people. And, and the thing that really gets me is someone like, for example, like Charlize Theron, who's, a, who's originally from South Africa, has the audacity to say, oh, well, Afrikaans is pretty much a dead language. Only 47 people speak it. Really? You know, I think it's funny shit. I mean, you know, I don't know if you watch rugby at all, but it's funny because South Africa was playing against England last weekend, and uh, now there's this big controversy because he's speaking Afrikaans. They're trying to make it sound like he was calling the, the guy on the English team a, a, a slur. It's funny shit. It's basically saying, you know, you know, the guy was asking who had the ball, and it says, you know, uh, white Kent, which means white side. And the guy got pissed off and told the reference, hey, man, he called me a white cunt. <laughs> I'm kind of going, well, if you're bitching about the ref, you must be a little cunt, you little bitch. So, I mean, it, and this is right before South Africa got the winning score and, and beat their ass. But, I mean, you know, uh, I, I think it's some funny stuff. So now they got this controversy about over the, some of the words and stuff. And, and the South Africans are actually having fun with it. They're like, oh. You know, what should we do all oh, when we go play New Zealand and we're going to call uh, SWAT cat, which basically means black side because the, the New Zealander team is um, the all blacks. So, I mean, I think, I think it's kind of funny that they take this stuff and so they warp the language and make it sound like it's a, a bad word. So, uh, you know, it's amazing how, what words can mean in two different languages. Oh, very much so, Sonny. Very much so. I, I think it's pretty pretty comical. So, um, 
But I, I think I think this is another reason why Israel's doing this shit because not only are they going to try to bomb the hell of that and try to raise it, whatever, it's good, another excuse to send more Muslims into Europe and into America um, so they can not only clear the area out for themselves, but also the same stroke, you know, cause more uh, multiculturalism and strife in the Western world. So, again, it just it just competes uh, pushing the purpose of what they're doing because of the fact that I, I remember li- listening to news as a kid. I didn't know what the hell was going on, but I got so sick of turning on the nightly news and, and uh, seeing Dateline or whatever, and all I hear is this bullshit about, oh, stuff going on in Gaza and the West Bank. And, and all of a sudden, I'm like, why are we hearing about this shit every fucking night? And and I don't even, you know, it's like Americans don't want to know geographies by what country we've invaded next. I mean, that's pretty sad that you can't even find Uzbekistan on a map unless we're invading the damn country. <laughs> Well, Sonny, I made a point on social media today I think is very relevant. And so far this year in America, there have been over 3,000 people shot on the streets of Chicago. Now, the crazy part about that is is the numbers are big for Chicago because of the population. But yet when it comes when it comes to, you know, uh the actual Pro rata of the people involved with the crimes, Chicago's not even in the top ten in America as far as a violent crime is concerned of the city. That's funny. But yet, but yet Chicago already three thousand people have been shot, and why are we concerned about what's going on in Palestine when we can't even control our big cities? And it's all in Democrat-run cities. Well, that's uh, – I think the correct phrase would be Marxist. Yes. Because yes. The, one thing, the one thing that I have found in my uh, you know, 70 years of existence is that there are just as many Republican Marxists as there are Democrat Marxists. Oh, definitely. And – And then the other thing that most people don't understand is the Republican Party was founded by Marxists. Yes, actually, a buddy of mine I know actually had a book called uh, Lincoln's Marxists, I think it was. And uh, because obviously uh, Marx and Engels had written written that book, what, in 1846? Is that about right? Right. Well, we had the huge migration – from uh, Europe in 1848, because mm-hmm. Europe Europe clamped down on the Marxists. So the Marxists, uh, some of them were going to be brought up for trial. Some of them were going to be, you know, were looking at death sentences and what have you. So they mm-hmm. hit the trail. A lot of them went to went from London, and a lot of them came to America. They went primarily to the northern states, Wisconsin. Uh, where uh, the Republican Party was founded in 1854 uh, in Rapon, Wisconsin. And of the 27 or 28 delegates who founded the Republican Party, 17 of them were members of the uh, 17 of them were members of the Communist Party. 
Yeah, I, I, and a friend of mine told me a while back, she said when she started doing the history of the Republican Party, she was actually um, became very anti-Republican because she saw the roots of where it came from, and she didn't like it at all. Well, that I don't know how we could say much different about them. I mean, uh, Carl, Karl Marx and Abraham Lincoln were good friends. Charles A. Dana was uh, Lincoln's assistant secretary of war. He was a close friend of Karl Marx. Mm-hmm. And he was, you know, to put him into that position. And then Lincoln had at least eight to ten generals in the Union Army who were Marxist. Some of them couldn't speak English. Huh. It's almost like the, like a Custer when he went to the Little Bighorn. Half his troops were like what? Uh, Irish immigrants right off the boat that couldn't speak English or some shit? Yes, and that was uh, that was because so many of them, that was what happened with them. Uh, if you were, uh, if you came from Ireland, if you were immigrating from Ireland in the uh, 1860s, uh, during while the war was going on, as soon as you disembarked, you were signed up and put into the Union Army. You had no choice. Yep. Yep. And, and there was not that, but not that, but guys and generals that showed that as well. You got Irish fighting Irish, and said, "Well, didn't they learn from fighting all the English?" You know, I mean, just like now we're killing ourselves. So I mean, you know, and, and a lot of the Irish that were in the Confederacy were already farmers and such as had already established themselves here. And, um, you know, again, it's just very interesting. You and I could go on for hours about why the uh, the Civil War started and in, in, in many ways why the Confederacy was actually a, a smart way to do things. Now, the question is, if they had won, would the Confederacy have lasted because of the fact that it may have been broken up into smaller uh, – other factions as well because of the fact that uh, some of the same reasons why they broke away from the Union would be the same reasons why they would break away from the Confederacy because, again, they don't want to over overbearing central government telling them what to do. Well, very much so, and uh, uh, I think it was uh, 2005, Sonny, I wrote an article, and the title of my article was All Government is Equal. I mean, all government is evil, and I think I was able to, without too many problems, to absolutely prove that the Confederate government was not what people thought it was either. Yeah. Well, there's lots of prominent Jews in the Confederate government as well. Well, you know, you had uh, uh, Uli from Florida, who was a full-blown of uh, uh, Jew, and then you had Judah P. Benjamin, also yep, the same as Judah P. Benjamin. Well, you know, and it was Stonewall Jackson who referred to Judah P. Benjamin as Jefferson Davis's pet Jew. <laughs> uh, <laughs> that's interesting. Maybe, well, maybe that's why you shot my friend in fire, huh? <laughs> well, there's there's a lot of there's a lot of stories there, Sonny, that we all should know that we don't. Mm-hmm. And that was that uh, at, after the Battle of First Manassas, when uh, Stonewall Jackson had figured out the tactics of the Northern Army in about uh, an hour or so, and he immediately led the charge against 
the Union Army that sent them throwing their arms down and rushing as fast as they could back to Washington. Well, mm-hmm. it was it was Stonewall Jackson who wanted to follow them into uh, follow them into uh, I'm sorry, wanted to follow them into Washington D.C. and uh, and to sue for peace which would have yeah. made all the sense in the world. But who stopped him? Judah P. Benjamin. Yep. Okay, then when Stonewall then in 1862 goes into the Shenandoah Valley, and he is very much kicking butt up and down with 30,000 men. He's regularly defeating Shields, Banks, and Fremont with over 100,000 men. He's outmaneuvering them. He's out. He's outdoing them, you know, with no problem whatsoever. But then he begins to get a great influx of people coming to join his army. Southerners, you know, farmers, what have you, coming to join his army. The problem was mm-hmm. is they didn't have the arms. You know, they oh, had yeah. squirrel. They had squirrel rifles. They had other stuff, and that's what they had. And so, you know. Stonewall sends in a requisition, the Confederate Army, and says, okay, we need rifles for our men. We need rifles for a weapon weaponry for our new recruits. Do you know what ben- Judah P. Benjamin sent him? Oh, I'd love to hear this. Wooden pikes. Wooden pikes? Wooden pikes. <laughs> oh, shit. Stonewall immediately resigned, and he sent a re- letter of res- he sent a letter of resignation to uh, 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 to Jefferson Davis and said, "Look, I I can't do this. I cannot fight this war. As long as that man is Secretary of War, I will I will not participate." Mm-hmm. So Jefferson Jefferson Davis goes to a uh, member of Congress from Virginia who is a very close friend of Stonewall. And he says, look, you have got to stop this. Stonewall cannot leave. We cannot afford to lose him. And so then, ironically, what happens? Then this, uh, this uh, member, the member of Congress comes, goes straight to uh, uh, Stonewall in the valley and talks him into staying And Stonewall says under one provision, I'm not going to stay if Judah P. Benjamin is Secretary of War. So Jefferson Davis Mm -hmm. moves him to Secretary of State. That's probably worse. Yes, exactly. Wow. I I bet you you Keith Alexander could go on that topic for hours. (laughs) Well, we... uh, I uh, I've spent I've spent quite a bit of time, and you know where I am in Georgia right now. I go to county archives, dig up uh, you know what letters and stuff I can find from different individuals, because uh, Sonny, that's where our history is. Our history is not in these Marxist uh, professors, and it's not in the on the news. And the, you know you're not getting the truth. If, in mm-hmm. America, if, if you're going to know the truth, you're going to have to search for the truth because nobody's going to just give it to you. Right. 
Well, yeah, but it just dispels a lot of myths because when you actually start doing research, you're like, oh, wow. I mean, how many yeah. things we found out, like e- even popular quotes, when we actually hear the full quote, you're kind of like, ooh, there's a little bit more, um, little bit more pith to this. You know, because yeah, people might remember the first part of the quote, but they won't recite the second half, you know? Yeah. It's kind of like the Lord's Prayer. Right? A lot of times the Lord's Prayer, they do, was it two-thirds of it, but they never, they never finish the other part of it? Yep. Well, one of the things I have done recently on my sub stack that you mentioned earlier, and I sincerely thank you for that, but one of the guys I've been exploring in American history that most people have never heard of, and he was probably one of our most fervent patriots right up there with Patrick Henry, and that was none other than Luther Martin. Was who? How many, Amer- how many Americans have ever heard of Luther Martin? Mm, I don't think I have. Well, Luther Martin was the longest sitting attorney general from any state in American history. He was the attorney general for the state of Maryland for almost 30 years. He wow. was He was considered by many to be the most brilliant lawyer in American history, but he totally opposed the Constitution. He ended up leaving the Constitutional Convention in disgust in late August of 1787. He attacked the Constitution on so many points. And then, of course, unfortunately, and it was personal, it was not political, but he and Thomas Jefferson hated each other. Hmm. And so so then when Jefferson became president, and the first thing he did was he tried to impeach Samuel Chase from Maryland. And, of course, he got uh, Luther Martin to defend him. And then, of course, when Aaron Burr was charged with treason by Jefferson while, while he was still vice president, believe it or not, uh, Jefferson, uh, I mean, uh, Luther Martin defends Jefferson and gets him exonerated from the charges. And the other thing that people are unaware of is that Luther Martin was totally 100% against slavery. Mm. Luther Martin... Luther Martin spoke against slavery at the uh, at the uh, Constitutional Convention and said, "If you put slavery into this Constitution, there'll be a civil war." Guess what? They put slavery in the Constitution. Yep, and they had a civil war. Now, not only did Luther Martin predict that, but so did Patrick Henry. Patrick Henry said. If we adopt this Constitution as it is written, we will be in a civil war, a bloody civil war within 100 years. Well, it came along 73 years. Yeah, I, I heard that. Um, I've heard that before um, from a couple of different sources now. Think about it. Who, who else was who, had, uh, who observed that as a possibility as well? well there was a couple of other ones I think that were pretty famous. Well, yeah, there, Samuel Adams. It was someone else. Well, Samuel Adams also predicted it, but we had yeah. a couple. Of, we had a couple of anti-federalists predict it, but they used pen names, so we're not sure who they actually were. Mm-hmm. That's pretty interesting. That is very yeah, interesting. It's, okay. it's, it's quite interesting. Yeah, it, yeah, it's quite interesting. Actually, yes, that's pretty good. And uh, 
if you get a chance there, Sonny, take a look at my uh, uh, Substack, and especially my last uh, three have been on Luther Martin, and mm-hmm. uh, the the American public or the American powers that be don't want you to know anything about Luther Martin, and so when Luther Martin died, he was buried in a, a church lot with no headstones, and here was the other thing. After he was buried, it was paved over for a parking lot. Gee, <laughs> well, that's the ultimate fu, isn't it? Yeah, nobody even knows where uh, Luther Martin is buried, and I've got a lady that I've done two straight shows with on Republic Broadcasting. I mean, uh, three shows now. She is a tour guide in New York City, one of the most brilliant ladies you'll ever want to meet. You ought to have her on your program sometime. She runs a, information. She runs a business called Patriot Tours. And she does, I mean, this lady knows her stuff. Uh, we have talked for hours, her husband and I and her on the phone. And we have talked about history. We've talked about so many different things. And she is just a wealth of knowledge, but she is really knowledgeable about anything New York. So I asked her about Luther Martin, and she's a New Yorker, and she said, I, you know, I think I may have heard of him a time or two, but Sonny, if you want to know how much they don't want you to know about Luther Martin, type Luther Martin into Google and see how many come back. They've See how many come back there, huh? They, it all comes back Martin Luther. They That's don't want to mention. They don't want to mention Luther Martin. Now, why? Why would you not want to talk about this man who, as a as an attorney, represented slaves pro bono to acquire their freedom? who fought against slavery being put into the Constitution, who actually wrote the uh, Article 6, Clause 2 of the Constitution, but then it was changed after he left. But think about what he put into Article 6, Clause 2, and that would be that all Supreme Court decisions would require a jury of the people. Because he said that these lawyers do not, should not ever have the authority to be the final, to be the final say on what is legal and what is not legal. The people should have that, and so he wanted each Supreme Court case to have its own jury. That's interesting. Yes, very much so. Because, you know, if uh, you know, stop and think about it. In 1974, if the Supreme Court would have said. Okay, uh, you know, in Roe v. Wade, yes, we're going to make uh, abortion legal, and a uh, 12-person jury said, no, you're not. Huh. I mean, because he said— They're trying to expand the Supreme Court and everything else. I mean, all that shit adds up how what they've been trying to pull all these years. Yeah, well, Luther Martin was exactly right. He said the final say-so— on what is and what is not legal and constitutional in this country should be with the people and not with the government. Mm-hmm. And how That's right is that? 
I, I tell you, the more and more we start to dive into this stuff, I mean, this is like its own rabbit hole, brother. I mean, seriously, it's like the, the things we've been taught in school, if we were taught anything at all, um, is like, like not even barely even cliff notes of what the real story is. I mean, that's the main thing that gets me because the more and more you start to deep dive, you really start, it starts to make sense. It's like, we, we, you know, everybody always paints, you know, Hitler was a madman and Antichrist, blah, blah, blah. But when, you know, I look, I remember when I was a kid looking at speeches and stuff, reading the translations ago, how can you disagree with anything he's saying, you know? I mean, it sounds pretty reasonable to me. And then, of course, you look at some of the things he actually did while, uh, you know, as chancellor. It's like what any head of state would have done, especially his own news, who is a nationalist. And I'm sitting there going, you know, I read all of his peace, um, peace offers they did before and during the war, and it's like you can't tell me that he wasn't trying to avoid conflict as much as possible. As a matter of fact, uh, Leon de Grel was asked, well, what, what were your thoughts on Hitler? He's like, you know, I asked him about that, and he said, I most certainly did not want to start a war. You know, they've no, been pushing didn't. this stuff even since 1933. Yep. Well, stop and think about one of the classic radio programs in London in 1933, and I've got a copy of it. Winston Churchill in 1933, folks, said, Hitler grows too powerful. We must crush him. Mm Mm-hmm. 33. And this is when he was still an outcast, right? Yes. He was just beginning his ascent to power, and Churchill saw that and said, we must crush him. And now that the British don't like competition. And by then, the Germans were starting to become uh, a force to be reckoned with. They were starting to have colonies and everything else. They were known for their sciences and philosophy. So, I mean, they were starting to become serious competition on the world stage. The British didn't like that. Well, there was another thing that Hitler said during that time frame, Sonny, and I'll be happy to send you the copies of this. Uh, When Hitler, you know, when, uh, uh, I'm sorry, Churchill said, you know, the problem with uh, Hitler is he's trying to relieve Germany from our economic system, which meant the Jewish bankers. Yes, he said, that is why we must crush Hitler. He's trying to remove himself from our banking system. Well, you know, I, I've been watching a couple of really good documentaries on this and stuff. And, of course, you know, when the uh, – was it essentially the World Jewish Congress, whatever, or Judea declares war on Germany in 1933, what was the reason why? What was, the, like, two of the first first laws that, uh, that uh, Hitler had passed um, – after getting in and uh, becoming chancellor, he passed the um, he abolished usury and he abolished pornography, which are both cornerstones of the Jewish economic system. And so, so now when you put that in that perspective, then all of a sudden, oh, Judea declares war on Germany, and then we have to uh, ban all German goods and this, that, and the other. And I'm sitting there going, what was the big? Because it seems like, okay, I understand there's something going on, but I, I don't see why there would have been such a retaliation. And then when someone said recently, he's like. Oh, yeah, the first two things he did after he got in office was he abolished uh, usury and abolished pornography. Uh, no, one of the Jews got pissed. You took away their bread and butter. Yep. 
So it see again when you put it in context as what really happened, it makes sense. You know, if I just tell you, hey man, I, I have a pack of gum here, you're not gonna have any idea that I can chew it and blow bubbles with it. Or or you hear a bubble pop, you know. When I actually show you, hey, or look, I can chew the gum, I can uh, blow bubbles and I can make it pop, then it all makes sense, you know? Because otherwise you're just kind of like, here's a pack of gum. What do you want me to do with this? You know, if I don't show you what it's used for, what you can do with it, you're not going to have a clue because it won't make sense. And then you're just kind of like, yep. oh. So like I said, you look at a lot of stuff that they did. As a head of state, why wouldn't you have done that? Especially if you have a nationalist platform, why wouldn't you have done many of the things that he did? You know what? What, especially as a naturalist trying, trying to get all the stuff together, why not the um, reuniting the Sudetenland and, and also merging um, Austria with Germany because they are your cousins? I mean, it all makes logical sense why he would have made these moves. It's just a matter of figuring out how to do it and not get complete international and financial retaliation for doing it. Yeah, well... Uh, Sonny, I wanted to bring this up before we uh, uh, head off in our own uh, separate ways here. Was okay. uh, if if you will send me your email address, I will give you a three months free subscription to my paid Substack. Not just there's uh, mm-hmm. sections there for free, and there's sections where I really put out some dynamite original source documents. So if you will send me your email address, I will uh, give you a put you on for a free three months paid subscription. And if you've got any of your listeners that would like the same deal, tell them to send mm-hmm. me tell them to send me uh, their email address, and I'll put them on for three months. Let them try it and see if they like it. Okay. Uh, so I, there's one thing, and I'm not trying to pat myself on the back here, Sonny, but uh, this is one thing I totally believe. I don't believe that you're going to find this stuff anywhere else. Just well, me. That's the thing. I, it, it, it's hard to even find outlets that actually have information that really matter. The thing that really gets me the most is, uh, I mean, for example, um, just trying to find exactly how the National Socialist monetary system of based on labor on the new on the new hashtag or the new Reichmarks. You can't really even find a book on that. I found every now and then I find a website that details a little bit of the mechanics and how it worked, but you cannot find a comprehensive book on how the National Socialist economy worked and how that they were able to uh, rejuvenate their economy and get everybody to full employment within two years while everyone's still mired in the Depression here for almost 10 years because Roosevelt thought you could spin your way out of a Depression. Right. And the fact is, is that Germany was prospering big time. Yeah, once you get the the interest off their back, they were able to uh, rebuild. Well, draw the relationship there, if you will, or the draw the tangent line from what happened there with Germany, shutting them down with their free economy. Take that back to the Civil War and the fact that the North could not allow the South to continue with their economy because they were paying 
over 80% of the total price for government in 1860, and they couldn't allow them to pull out and be on their own. That's exactly the same dynamic with Hitler and Germany. That makes sense because they would have, they would have completely collapsed the whole economy. Yep. And so they couldn't allow that to happen. And so have you ever heard of the hazard circular? Uh, I think so. I'm not sure. Okay. Well, in 1860, uh, you know, they were into the war in 18, early 1862. And Lincoln had told everybody the war would last 90 days. That the Southerners couldn't fight. They couldn't do this. They couldn't do that. Well, by 1862, uh, the Union Army was getting their butt whipped <coughs> on multiple fronts. And so they had to try to do something about it. So they went to the international banking cabal, and Lincoln went through Samuel P. Chase. And uh, Samuel P. Chase went to the international bankers, and especially the Bank of England, and he said, can you loan us money to prosecute our war? And the bankers said, sure. How much do you need? The only thing is it's 40% interest. So so Lincoln said, not no, but hell no. I got to yeah. give him credit for that. So then Lincoln created the greenback. Yes. Well, the greenback had no borrowing behind it. We didn't have to borrow money from anybody. The greenback was used as a method of exchange. It had no debt attached to it. It had no silver or gold attached to it. It was just a means of to facilitate transfer of goods. But then the union, the uh, bankers immediately saw that they couldn't allow that to happen. And so right. they issued they issued what was called the hazard circular, the bankers did, and they sent it out to banks all over the East Coast. And in the North, they sent this letter out to them and sent it to also the international bankers sent half a million dollars in 1862 to Salmon P. Chase and told him to buy as many members of Congress as it takes to do away with the greenback. So he did that. He bought enough members of Congress. They came up with the Currency Acts of 1862 and 1863, which totally destroyed the greenback. Now, mm-hmm. if, you, if you have a moment, if you'll give me like uh, – you know, maybe 10 seconds, I will bring up that hazard circular and read it for you and your audience if you'd like. Okay. Uh, is, is it true that I heard that the greenbacks were still technically in circulation until FDR killed it? Well, they were in circulation. The only thing was is that the uh, the mon- the uh, Currency Act of 1862 said, oh, you can have all the greenbacks you want. You just can't pay a debt with them. Ah, uh, okay. So basically they, they weren't going to honor it as currency. Yeah, they didn't want to destroy it. They just wanted to make it completely and totally ineffective. Hmm. And in some okay. that's actually why Lincoln was just fascinated because he, he, he dared to put forth the greenback. Well, 
Lincoln was a, Lincoln was established for another. I mean, was uh, assassinated by his own cabinet. Uh, I have done a series of uh, podcasts on that with some pretty graphic evidence of that. Uh, and the fact of it was is that Lincoln had just recently, 1864, I believe it was, lost his son. His son had died. Yes. So after Richmond falls, Abraham Lincoln takes an army unit and goes to Richmond to see what Richmond looked like after Richmond surrendered or Richmond was defeated. And, of course, you know, Judah uh, P. Benjamin and uh, uh, Jefferson Davis are in a wagon headed south as fast as they could go to get out of Richmond. But anyway, Lincoln, go, Lincoln goes there, and what he sees is just appalling to him. He sees children starving to death because of all of this stuff. Lincoln gets a little bit soft-hearted, and he says to himself, well, and he says to others on the cabinet, look, we're going to bring the South back in as if it had never left. We're going to bring the South back in as full. We'll have them elect their uh, members to Congress. We're going to bring them back in. Well, mm-hmm. Secretary, the Secretary of War said, no, that ain't happening. He didn't tell Lincoln. But he had uh, the head of the Secret Service back then, or what became the Secret Service, was a gentleman by the name of Lafayette Baker. And Lafayette Baker's notes were found about 100 years ago. And he, it's very, very descriptive of what happened, is that the cabinet saw, and they knew as much as they, that administration had violated the Constitution, as much as what they had done, especially the atrocities of the war, especially after that, they knew that if they brought in the South with their full contingent of congressmen, they would form committees and probably most of them would have been hanged for treason. Oh, I bet. They could, not, they could not allow that to happen. They had to make sure that Lincoln died. And Lafayette Baker put in his notes that he got a – that Lincoln sent a notice to Judge Campbell, Judge Campbell from Virginia. Judge Campbell had been on the U.S. Supreme Court, but in 1860, when Virginia seceded, 1860, yes, 1861, when Virginia seceded, Judge Campbell resigned from the Supreme Court. Well, Lincoln contacted him and said, I want you to help me devise a plan to bring back in the South, just like she never left. That letter is documented. It's on file in the National Archives. Well, then Judge Campbell sends a notice back to Lincoln by telegram, and, of course, everything goes through the Secretary of War. All telegrams were going through uh, the Secretary of War at the time, Stanton. Mm-hmm. So, so Stanton, uh, uh, Lafayette Baker, sees it. Now, this is in his notes. This is not – I'm not dreaming this up. So he looks into his notes, and, he, and, and then he says to – uh, the Secretary of War, Stanton, he said, look, Judge Campbell has sent a notice back. Should I take it to the president now? And according to uh, Lafayette Baker, uh, the Secretary of War, Stanton, Edwin Stanton, says, no, not no, but hell no. We're not letting him know anything about getting together with Judge Campbell. And uh, so Lafayette Baker says, well, 
how how will how will he know that he got a response to his letter? And uh, you know, the uh, response was a classic from Stanton. He said, "Hell, we'll let the devil tell him." <laughs> Holy shit! That's, that's, two, that's two days before he's assassinated. Oh well, that's convenient. Yeah, and it, it is. It's quite convenient the way that it worked out. But uh, you know, uh, I told you I'd read you the hazard circuit. I'm going to read that for you, and then I'm going to take off, buddy. And uh, okay. I really, really appreciate you uh, having me on again. I really enjoy being on with you. But here's the here's the hazard circular, and it says slavery is likely to be abolished by the war power, and chattel mm-hmm. slavery completely abolished. This I and my European friends are in favor of, for slavery is but the owning of labor and carries with it the care of labor, while the European plan led on by England is that capital shall control labor by controlling wages. The great debt that capitalists will see to it is made out of the Civil War must be used to control the value of money. To accomplish this, the government bonds must be used as a banking basis. We are now waiting for the Secretary of the Treasury of the United States to make this recommendation to Congress. It will not do to allow greenbacks, as they are called, to circulate as money for any length of time, as we cannot control them, but we can control the bonds and through them all bank issues. Unquote. That's very interesting. So, Sonny, how long did it take the United States to pay off the debts from the Civil War? War was over 1865. When were the debts paid by the American public? Actually, I think I read somewhere, wasn't it like 1972 or some shit like that? 1930s, yes, sir. 1930s, okay. Because I know, uh, for example, I know, what was it, in early 2000, England had just paid off its World War I debt. Yes. So I was like, God, why does it take so damn long? Well, it's debt. That's just it. And it keeps accumulating interest. Yeah. And we keep adding to the debt. I mean, just look how much has been added under Biden. Oh, yeah. That's going to get worse. Yeah. Well, Sonny, I'm going to head off here, buddy. I certainly appreciate you inviting me on. And uh, like I said, uh, go to my Substack and or just send me your email, and I'll put you on Substack. Sign up as a free subscriber and send me your email, and I'll put you on for at least three months paid. Okay. I appreciate that. Okay. And that, uh, that offer goes for all your listeners as well, buddy. Okay, good. All right. Appreciate it, brother. Talk to you again soon. All right, Sonny. Take care, buddy. All right. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Okay. So that's Michael Gaddy, and um, we're going to switch gears here. I wanted to play uh, the latest update from the um, Aryan Freedom Network. They had uh, done uh, their Aryan Fest, I believe, in Texas on October 21st, and uh, we got a little highlight video here of one of their speeches, and we wanted to cover that a little bit um, uh, this evening. 
is the fact that we like to try to support as much of our white brothers and sisters as much as possible. Because recently I went on Colchester Collections um, um, feed on Gab, and um, one of the things came up, and he posted a link to um, the various radio shows and stuff that, you can, that he's got listed on there. So I went to that list because I hadn't seen it in several months, and uh, I, I went to try to find some of the programs that he had listed or the networks. I get on there, and the next thing you know, I'm like, all right, you just go check this out. And um, surprisingly, a lot of the shows that I had noticed that were on there uh, were already archived. So, I mean, in other words, they weren't making any new episodes. Um, and then, then I recently had come across that uh, Renegade Broadcasting, um, uh, uh, Solar Storm that Kyle Hunt was doing um, is now done. As of July, I was like, well, that's interesting. Not that, but I think when he switched going to uh, uh, Odyssey, and, of course, you can't really download or anything like that. He stopped doing the audio version that, like he did before. Um, I think that kind of killed some of the opportunities because, obviously, we would download a lot of his uh, shows and, and syndicate them here on Resolution Radio. But since Odyssey doesn't allow downloads anymore, we couldn't download it and, and format it. So I was like, well, I guess we're just going to have to drop Solar Storm. And I messaged him on it, and he kind of got crappy about it. And I'm just like, okay, fine, forget it then, dude. You're just going to lose some listeners. So I don't know what's going on, but I'm assuming because he's an herbs.com has been taken down. I, I, I theorize, again, I don't know, I theorize that maybe him and his wife split because I believe that was her outlet. So um, I don't know what's going on. I don't follow them closely. Um so I don't know what's all going on there. If that's the case, sorry to hear that. If that's not the case, maybe he just got tired of doing it, but he still does uh, Renegade or Tri- Tribunes. There's always good articles on there. But I always appreciate his general commentary on things. So it sucks. It's one less voice we have to hear. I mean, we've seen a lot of prominent voices starting to drop off. I mean, Billy Roper stopped several years ago. Uh, Kyle Hunt's gone now. Uh, even uh, Fascination, that's on um, – the Right Stuff uh, Network, which is probably one of the only ones that you can download and listen to for free um, with Jazz Hands McField's gone. So it gives more opportunities for us to try to expand Resolution Radio as well, but at the same stroke, we need your support. Uh, just like everybody else, we have bills to pay as well, and we, we always want to hope to expand, especially in the in the upcoming oppression that's coming out there. And, and – uh, and solidarity, we stand with Owen Schroeder because of the fact that he got screwed for his freedom of speech. He's now in a Louisiana federal prison for the next two months. I guess uh, my understanding is in solitary confinement. So I don't know if that's for his own general safety or because he's essentially a political prisoner. So it'll be interesting to, to know. Um, hopefully he'll be uh, able to communicate with Alex uh, soon through his um, video phone connection there through the prison. But again, uh, we don't see any of our folk in there uh, uh, wrongly uh, judged against and, and fucked over. I mean, every guy's in J6 could be one of us, ladies and gentlemen. Joe Biggs, John Schaefer, all these guys, these are these are us. And the fact that there is no outrage about why in the hell these guys are getting 15 and 20-year sentences over bullshit. And then many of these guys weren't armed. Many of these guys tried to stop a lot of this stuff. And they're the ones getting fucked the most, not being able to see their children. I mean, this is totally unacceptable happening to Joe Biggs. 
He served our country with honor, man. And he got fucked because he was in the wrong place at the wrong time and said the wrong things. This isn't what America is all about. It needs to be changed. So here is the Aryan Fest. Again, this happened on October 21st. Not very long. I think it's like a five-minute video or so. But uh, appreciate um, Aryan Freedom Network for um, sending this to me to check out. So I want to make sure people have a chance to hear this. So um, I always want to make sure that we have an opportunity to hear what our brothers and sisters have to say uh, before they stifle freedom of speech and the ability to be able to talk uh, throughout all broadcast meetings.
So that was um, the Aryan Freedom Network. And, again, they have some uh, pretty good stuff there um, overall. And I enjoy their content and the fact that they are, are willing to speak their minds as well as make sure that they um, get the message out in different ways, uh, so to speak. So that was the president of the AFN. And um, I would like to see more footage of that particular thing from Aryan Fest. 
I was in Texas on October 21st. So I'll uh, let them know that I like to hear more of their uh, speeches if they have them available. There's a lot of good stuff there to um, listen to because, again, these are basically our folk that are stepping up. What the fuck are you doing? Are you sitting there playing video games? Are you sitting there watching dumbass movies from the uh, Jew Hollywood? Are you sitting there worried about Israel and what's it doing? No. People like Henry Stout here are actually telling you how much work that they've done and how much their network is growing. So, again, we need to encourage these guys to keep on keeping on because they're the ones that are not sitting on the sidelines being spectators. They're the ones that are actually out on the field in battle gear ready to be right on the front lines. What the fuck are you doing? So, again, we can all do something. Uh, you could do a podcast. You can um, post things on social media until you get banned. Call into the local talk radio. You know, even if you only have 30 seconds to talk, get your point across. Just make sure you're, you're concise and uh, your uh, talking points are well rehearsed. So that when they try to cut you off, you can quickly uh, get your point out. Go to city council meetings. Go to county commission meetings. Uh, these are some of the things that I've been doing. I've actually been working on a, a speech that I can basically go and, and use as a general speech at many of these things and try to keep within the three-minute mark um, unless I ask for actual time so I can fit inside their, you know, General Roberts rules of how they do formatted meetings. But these are things that matter because if you don't, uh, we need to let them know the coming hordes that are coming, that we, need, we as whites need to start looking after each other. We need to be keeping an eye out on neighborhood watch areas. Anything that goes astray, any weird noises, whatever, dog starts barking, don't just blow it off. Go take a look. You know, come out there if necessary, not only all the flashlights blazing, but well-armed. Make sure you got a sidearm on you. You know, make sure you already got one round in the chamber and, and you're already in fucking, uh, you, you know, CQB mode so that way you can walk out there and investigate what the fucking noise is uh, and drop anything that looks suspicious. So that's one of the things that gets me here is that people need to start patrolling their neighborhoods. That's one of the things I've done in Springboro for 20-some-odd years now. There's times I'll just go out there in the middle of the fucking night, and I just, you know, can't sleep or whatever case it be, or especially I was working maybe night shift or whatever. Uh, I would go and drive around. I would do no different than what a, a police officer do patrolling the area. I would drive around and see things. Things are a lot different at night. You see things differently. Uh, you see spots that aren't, aren't well lit. I've actually had situations where I'd actually call up some of the businesses and say, hey, you know, uh, some of your side light over here is kind of dark. Do those lights work? Thanks for letting us know that they don't work. Yeah, man, you got to make sure you have a well-lit parking lot. Otherwise, you, you might have the potential of a uh, break-in. Or, you, you know, like the Walmart there in Franklin, you're going to have people up there fucking doing drugs and shit because there's no cameras in that particular thing. But it's a great little enclave for them to pull into and go shoot up. So, I mean, seriously, these are things you have to raise awareness. I mean, I've been on safety committees and stuff. Uh, throughout my employment history, and I've always um, looked at the obvious things. You know, hey, is there a mirror in the right place? Uh, if you got cameras, are they getting all the angles you're supposed to see? Um, where a fire extinguisher? Well, does it do me good if it's on that wall over there? If I have, you know, uh, a, con- uh, a conveyor in front of me, it means they got to leap over the fucking conveyor to get to that damn fire extinguisher. So you can have one on that wall, but once you put one over here, so all those things matter. So you have to think in those terms. Um, 
You might also go to drivendvd.com. Uh, they'll teach you how to uh, drive in combat, what to do in, in situations like that. Uh, learn. Uh, watch watch videos on YouTube. I've watched a lot of QQ stuff about CQB, about exactly how you, you know, you see a lot of movies and cop shows where the cop goes in, when he's going to clear in the room, he's got his arms sticking all the way out with his fucking gun and shit. No, you don't do that, dude. Anyone in the military would tell you that. Those tactics are old school, man, and they're going to get yourself fucking killed or at least disarmed. At least if anything, you keep a gun close to your chest, that way you can still got a pretty good angle, probably almost at least a 120-degree angle on how you can shoot. But the thing is, you can lock two shots and then go pull your thing all the way and drop that fucker all the way to the ground. So, I mean, you're fully committed at that point. But you have to always assume if there's a shadow, there's someone in it. If there's a corner you can't see, there's someone in it. So a lot of military guys know that when they're clearing rooms. So uh, it should be no different. I mean, when you come home at night, just act like someone could be in your house, you know. Lights are off or whatever. You know, go in your house. Even if you just have a pocket knife, you know how to properly have it in your hands. So you, you know, you don't want to stick it out forward. You want to stick it at the bottom of your fist so that way um, – you can actually punch the guy, and then you can actually slash them and then stick them. Uh, so you can, like, slash them in the face and stick them in the neck. So things like that. You need to know basic close-quarter combat tactics because what happens is if someone breaks into your house, dude, that's exactly what's going to turn into. You, by the time you get out of your bed, you've got a scuffle in your hallway. And, you know, so you just have to think of those terms. When you come home some nights, you know, if, even if you don't have an actual pistol on you or you don't have a knife on you, you can be something simple as, you know, get a small stick or even take a hairbrush. Take a hairbrush and kind of hold your hand like if it was a pistol and come in and act like you're clearing out each room quietly. You don't make yourself obvious. So, I mean, just get in the habit of once in a while just when you come home, especially if you live by yourself, to go and, and go put yourself in that situation. Hey, what if I come home and I notice the door's ajar? Oh, shit. Fuck, someone's in my house. You know, the guy could have maybe gotten spooked just as it broke in, or maybe he's still in there. So, again, uh, periodically just come home and act like someone could be in your house and go through the motions. You need to get that conditioning. So that way when you do come home and all of a sudden you've got groceries in your hand, you go, oh, what the fuck? And then if, you can, if you've got a pistol on you, or you've got a weapon of some sort or whatever, at least you can kind of go in there and know something's up. So, again, you have to have that practice. You have to get that classical conditioning to always assume that ever soon as you leave the house, that it could be compromised by the time you get back. All right, so that's it for the show tonight. Like I said, check us out at ResolutionRDO.com, ScienceThomas.com. Follow us on LinkedIn, Getter, Gab, Twitter, and Telegram at Show. And at Wimp King, Getter, Gab, and Telegram at Resolution RDO. And on Twitter, Resolution RDO and the number one. Thank you very much to uh, Michael Gaddy for coming on tonight. Thank you uh, for the Aryan Freedom Network for uh, sending us that update. And uh, we're glad we got a chance to opportunity. So if you have any more videos, uh, please refer to and send them to me because of the fact that uh, I want to get more of your guys' viewpoints out. All right. Salat Jama, and uh, we will definitely check you out next week. Um, I did a great interview with uh, Jan Lampert recently, and I'm in the process of formatting it. So hopefully if it doesn't come out next week, it'll be out shortly afterwards. Uh, the simple fact that uh, uh, Jan's always a great guest, and uh, he's got some very cool stuff 
that he's covered, and I want people to be able to hear it. All right, we'll catch you next week, and uh, see ya. Stay out of trouble, and don't get don't be uh, feeding tribbles <laughs> because they just keep on breathing. All right, so on to my. You're listening to Resolution Radio, 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 ResolutionRDO.com. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BDW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.